0: I love playing Mario Kart on the Nintendo Wii. It's a racing game with all the Mario characters. Mario, Luigi, Yoshi, Princess Peach. But I don't usually have anybody to race with me around Bowser's Castle or the Koopa Cape. So I felt like I hit the jackpot the other day when we had this couple, Chu and Callahan, staying over at our house and they both wanted to
1: play. Hi, I'm Callahan Connor and when I rap, they call me C command, which is the letter C with a dash and then command, and it's something in linguistics that I studied a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, Mario and I, I, I grew up on Mario. Oh yeah? How far do you go back? Um, to the original Nintendo Entertainment System. What was the objective in that game? Go to the right. <laughs> Get as far to the right as you can. And I mean, I suppose there was a, you know, generally a narrative involving Bowser or King Koopa, depending on the incarnation, kidnapping Princess Toadstool or or Peach, depending on the legend. And then you gotta like, rescue her. That's generally it, I think.
0: And since Callahan has Mario so deep in his bones, we got to talking about one of the most frustrating tropes that Nintendo introduced through the Mario games generally, in Super Mario, what happens when you get to the place where the princess is supposed to be?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you, you go to the right uh, far enough, and then you reach some castle, and then you reach this bridge at the end, you fight Bowser, and you jump over him, and you cut down the bridge, and he falls into the fire, and you go more to the right, and I I think there's usually even a bag, and then you, like, open up the bag, and out comes this tiny mushroom man. Uh, and he goes, "Thank you, Mario, but our princess is in another castle." And you're like, "What? I fought so hard for this." Okay, I guess there's another world to go to.
0: You're listening to All That Matters from CJSR, stories about arts and culture around Alberta. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and I'm Josh Turpin. Each week we take small bites out of a big question. This week, our princess is in another castle. What do you do when the thing you thought you were chasing turns out not to be the end of your road? We'll talk to a singer who made it big and then left the stage. And we'll find out what it's like to actually
2: put kids in the middle of their own princess story.
0: But first, let's get back to Super Mario Brothers. So, talking to my Mario Kart compatriot, Callahan, I was curious. When he was a kid, how did he have the patience to keep going from castle to castle, endlessly being told that his goalposts had been moved just a little bit further?
1: Well, I just found ways around that whole frustrating business. Um, You know, generally a a friend might initiate me into secret passages, uh, whether it's a warp whistle or a warp pipe or whatnot. And you can skip like three worlds or something like that. You're kind of foiling the game for yourself in some way. What What do you think
0: that one could learn from that in like living one's life?
1: The, the shortcutting? yeah. That if you have friends who know secrets, then you can skip a lot of of the boring, repetitive grind. I would say that game design has improved a lot since the eighties. There's a lot of games if you were to like play them again from that are from the eighties. These days, you just they are so frustrating. And you, if you play them again, having played them as kids, you're like, how how did I, how did I put myself through this? Why like, so I feel when I was a child, I felt like it was always my fault when I died. But nowadays, I'm like, no, that's just a poorly designed game. Why did you feel guilty? Why did you feel bad? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, perhaps, perhaps my guilt responses were being conditioned through uh, Catholic school, possibly. That could be it. Or it could be my own. I don't know, predisposition? Maybe even just identifying with the characters so much. Those games are so kind of uh, challenging and, and immersive, and the music is so fun, the colors are so bright and colorful, it's so sort of inherently involving. Um,
0: are you Catholic now?
1: I I wouldn't say that, no. No, I am I, not Catholic. Didn't ultimately get confirmed after I went through a big period of angsty st- introspection and self-doubt and general doubt and all of that and and then you reached what conclusion i reached a conclusion at the time that the the confirmation that many of my friends were you know about to undergo and this would have been about grade eight um was based in like fear of going to hell the the carrot and stick sort of motivating psychology i would say um of like the fear of going to hell or the, you know, reward of going to heaven. And it seemed to me like an extremely, um, blunt and self-serving institutional way to like propagate a religion. How do you like
0: to motivate people?
1: I like to motivate people through, um, I like to motivate people through poetry (laughs) and the arts. I would say it has been my experience in life generally that, you know, if I am, say, say kind to myself or give myself permission to um, think and feel the things that excite and satisfy me and get make me um, happy to be a human, happy to be alive, happy to have a, a mind, if I give myself permission to really live in that way then it it seems to also give uh permission in a sense to people around me to um connect to their own fascinations and i I actually have a, a rap that's about comparing sort of inspiration and fascination to mario actually and it goes like this it's called learning curve Let us pretend this is a video game you put in with the intention to riddle your brain. I am the disc, the stage is the disc tray, the mic is the system, the speaker's the display in high definition. Your ears are your eyeballs, the rhymes that you listen to appear on your mind's walls, looking like the very first level of Mario, a worthy comparison to the present scenario, where it's word after word in left-to-right fashion. If you heard faster words, you'd guess the right pattern and be able to jump when the time came to jump. My rhymes make you pumped, but surprises may stump you like a tree stump, like a tree interrupted by me. Chop! Chop! Chopping it down? I don't give a fuck. Stopping you now is just my method of instruction. Dropping you down those bottomless chasms is my learning curve in a nautilus pattern. These references, not all of us have them, it's inevitable. Not all of you laughing at all of the things, but probably half of them probably bring what you would call satisfaction questions resolving through actions like a headbutt to a question mark box like a mushroom to your head will start shocks to your consciousness like you stomp on this goomba i presume ya will soon be zooming through the environment i have recited and written a quieter all of the rhymes that i've hidden there were a couple go back if you're diligent but keep track of the time and get the rhymes for the thrill of it oh what's that you got there now i can feel it sizzling elevated mental ability meditative zen with rapidity celebrate your invincibility anyway we're in the vicinity of when this great momentum of energy ends up where the sentence is finishing but the rhymes keep coming like that was a side note on a side note it is with practice that I wrote this lackadaisical tightrope made out of my jokes making them rhyme as they climb right out of my throat I know video games created my flow I hope this will explain the way my mind goes fast patient hand to eye coordinates fascination to spin. The cycle wow
0: that was so much fun
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm very glad that you had fun and maybe that's what I'm trying to get at is that you know I had fun doing that and I want to leave people on a journey where they have fun and then there's just more fun in the world
3: I kept my hat on just for luck. Sang simple
1: tunes the whole night through I wondered if I'd wake to find myself in flames As I waited here for you
3: Yeah, when you came in I could breathe again
0: Thanks to Callahan Connor, a.k.a. C-Command. You're listening to All That Matters from CGSR. I'm Josh Turpin. And I'm Chris Chang and Phillips.
2: We tell stories
0: about arts and culture around Alberta.
2: Each week, we try to take small bites out of a big question. This week, our princess is in another castle. What do we do when we get to the end? And it's not the end? Well, we all know the song. That one from Musical Rent?
0: Uh, this one... Five hundred, twenty-five thousand, six hundred minutes. How do you measure, measure a year? Yeah, that one.
2: <laughs> well, if you times that number by 15, that's about the number of minutes it's been since Edmonton's Christian Mena has been in the musical theater spotlight. He's now a big-time restaurateur in the city of Champs. Our reporter, Nikki Weir, sat down with him at Sabor, one of his restaurants to find out what led him to this monumental shift in careers. Um, Do you remember any songs from Rank? Can you say
4: any for me right
3: now? Um, I'm trying to remember. Just trying to remember the ones that, that I would do. We're living in America at the end of the millennium. Living in America, where it's like the twilight zone. Those are the ones that I used to enjoy. My name is Christian Mena. I am the co-owner of Bodega Tapas Bar, Sabor, Restaurant, and Urbano Pizza. Bodega downstairs. But
4: before he was a food mogul, Mena was a very successful Broadway actor and musician. He played the lead Roger in the Los Angeles production of Rent for four years in the late 90s.
3: Well, I was playing Roger Davis. And the whole concept between—I think the most—if you tore that character apart and you know, trying to portray something to the audience, it's obviously the idea that you're looking for love and denying love, right? He's deny—he doesn't. His know whether character he can love Roger is
4: dying of, dying of AIDS, AIDS and doesn't know whether he can love anyone because of it. His, his entire performance is based around this idea of finding that one song, that the one song that'll make his life worth living. Based on
3: the song "One Song Glory," I think if I was to relate, I think we're all just trying to find something that means something in our lives, right? We're trying to do something that, some kind of lasting legacy. I think when he you got the
4: gig in large part by being the lead singer of Edmonton children. Latin Funk band Maracuja. To make them, but Mena's career as a singer started long that before Rent. And long before Um, This might be a bit of a weird question. Sure. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
3: (laughs) There were two things I wanted to be when I was a kid. One was a pilot, and the other was a singer. And I never became a pilot, but I did become a singer, so that was
4: good. Is that soldier years? Fly plane?
3: No, not really. (laughs)
4: No. Well, tell me about becoming a singer then.
3: Um. Well, my father was a professional singer and my mother was a professional dancer and they actually played in or played they ran a Chilean folklore group so I was born in Chile and uh, so the first time I was on stage was when I was about four years old and they were they we obviously immigrated to Canada and uh, they were putting on a performance at the library and I ran out and became part of the performance so I kind of started you know, you always see those movies where the father's playing guitar and his son is sitting at his feet singing along. That was me. So, my yeah. father was. Menna told
4: me he was a jock in high party. school. And then he heard himself playing basketball
3: and, my mom and transferred
4: schools. And, and it's he ended up going to Victoria School of Performing Arts. Family, Actually, the first sings. year that it became a school of performing arts. Of and arts. and while he was there, found a core group of people who would later become his bandmates, people he's still close friends with people and, uh, he still goes on so stage I, and performs I, I with. And it was those people who, in 1997, woke men up and got him to his audition on time. When you did the audition for Rent and you got that lead role, what, what went through your head? Like, what were you feeling at that time?
3: You know what? It's interesting because when I auditioned for Rent, I didn't even know what Rent was. <laughs> I was playing in a band that was doing very well, we're on much music, we on the radio, having fun with some of my best friends, touring the country, like the stereotypical in a van with eight guys kind of thing. Um, and I didn't even want to go to that audition. I remember waking up that morning and calling my agent, Daryl Morgan, saying, I don't want to do this, and him lose he's also one of my best friends, him losing his mind on me and telling me that if I didn't go, we were going to have real problems. And the bass player in the band, Ruben, is the one who actually got me out of bed, because I think I was hungover. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> got me out of bed, got me to take a shower, get into the car, and we drove there. And I went, and I i think I only realized as I was walking into the audition that holy crap, this is a big deal because, you know, the guy from Glass Tiger is sitting over there, which doesn't mean anything now, but in 1997 it was a big deal. Like, oh my god, the guy from Glass Tiger is sitting on this car. And he
4: got audition. it. He got the part. And over the next four years, he got to know the show very, very well and loved every minute of it. So what changed? How did Mena go from living in LA and singing on stages across North America to settling down in Edmonton and owning restaurants?
3: So the entire time I was with the same girl who I met in high school, who was my wife, when we came back to Edmonton, I came back to Edmonton to shoot a movie and found out she was pregnant and then I changed everything. And I remember I said to Neil, Neil patrick I goes, so dude, what do I do now? And he goes, well, you get a job, man. And I go, doing what? And he goes, whatever you can. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that really sucks. (laughs) But he was right.
4: Welcome to real life. Yeah, real life kind
3: of thing. Because you spend all this time on the road making all this money.
4: He said, Neil Patrick Harris the incredibly successful and talented actor who made his name early on as medical prodigy Dr. Julian Hauser.
0: me! You want to go to jail? No, you'll be going to jail for criminal negligence. This man has a dislocated fracture of the femur and he's going to lose his leg unless I fix it right away. And later
4: on as Playboy millionaire Barney Stinson and How I Met Your Mother. Ted, my boy, it's going to be legend, wait for it, dairy, legendary. And somewhere in between there, sang alongside Christian Mena as Mark.
1: Songwriter cannot hear Yeah, I see me me
0: everywhere Angels' voice is in my ear
1: Just tighten those shoulders Just clench your jaw till you forever
4: he ended up doing. He took Neil Patrick Harris's advice and in 2008, with the help of his business partner, opened Sabor. He's in his mid-40s now, has two daughters, and hasn't looked back. But that's not to say he didn't have a lot of fun, like a lot. Mena told me this really crazy story about how he and Neil Patrick Harris went to this really weird cemetery-themed bar in New Orleans and they got stalked by a gay vampire and crashed a stagette. I'll have to tell it to you another time. Or maybe go to one of Mena's restaurants and ask him to tell it to you. Because he'll be there. But actually, if you're going to go, go on a Friday night. Because you might just get a chance to see him go up and sing. Because after all, that's what he wanted to be when he grew up. A singer. And now that he's all grown up... So, now you're here running three businesses. What's your What's your dream now, as compared to what it was back
3: then? You know what, honestly, my dream is, I think a dream that most people have. I just dream of... Getting the businesses to a point where I can step away and just work less.
4: And maybe that Magazine, yeah. is Men as One Song Glory. One song, glory.
1: One song before I go, glory. One song to leave behind. Fine. One song, one last refrain, glory. From the pretty boyfriend man Who wasted opportunity One song, he had the world at his feet Glory in the eyes of a young, girl, a
2: young girl That last song wasn't Christian Mena singing, but Adam Pascal, who played Roger on Broadway as well as in the 2005 movie version of Rent. Thanks to Christian Mena for talking with us. You can check out his three restaurants on 102
0: Avenue and 103 Street in downtown Edmonton. You are listening to All That Matters from CJSR. Today we're talking about what happens when our princess is in another castle.
2: So I've been seeing literal Disney princesses more than usually in public. I recently saw the little mermaid in the ledge ground fountains just taking a swim. There were a lot of people taking photos with her. So I wanted to find out a little more about this princesses fad that's been sweeping the country. To answer this question, I got in contact with LJ Treseder. LJ is a student, actor, and the creative director of Enchanted Fables. Now, I actually met LJ when I was at the University of Victoria doing my undergrad degree. I got LJ on the phone from Victoria to shed light on princesses in today's society. Jay, what's your job?
5: <laughs> my job? Um, well, besides being a student and a local actress, I uh, am the creative director for Enchanted Fables, okay. uh, which is basically being a princess.
2: <laughs> being a princess, wow.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, now, what is Enchanted Fables?
5: Enchanted Fables is a company that was started by my good friend, Amy Culliford. Uh, she started it in October of last year, and I came on in January of this year. And it's a uh, princess company, and we've expanded a bit from that, but basically we dress up as princesses and we go to young girls' and boys' birthday parties and entertain them and teach them and play with them.
2: (laughs) Wow. Um, Now, I noticed you said you go to boys' uh, birthdays as well. Mm -hmm. What do you do for the boys? I mean, not saying that boys can't like princesses, but...
5: Absolutely not. Yeah, well, we actually had one young boy who loved um, our Snow Queen and Snow Princess, and uh, he was absolutely entranced by it. But we also have um, we have pirate parties, and we have superhero parties as well. And so uh, our good friend Marcus does a lot of those as well. And he's the most magnificent pirate. He does this magic trick where he reveals a pirate coin in his hand for the child, and <laughs> their faces just light up. It's so amazing.
2: Now, how many people does Enchanted Fables employ?
5: Um. Oh, that's a very good question. (laughs) Well, Amy is the owner and a performer, and I'm the creative director. And we have probably six to ten performers that we can call on at any time for our larger events. Um, But usually at parties, there's just two of us. So most of the time it's Amy, but we also have other performers that will come on if, you know, I'm in a show or Amy gets sick.
2: And are these all local actors
5: yeah most of them, because you and I both graduated from the sorry the University of Victoria from the acting program, we do have a plethora of actors to call upon. but we also just have a lot of friends that um, have a deep love for childcare and for the realm of fantasy and or that are really great singers. So we've sort of just sourced the love that have shown interest in it.
2: Um, now I noticed you said the uh, the Snow Queen as a princess. Um, mm-hmm. Are these Disney princesses?
5: <laughs> well, we—they are copyrighted, of course. So to get around that, we sort of do our own artistic interpretation on these uh, on these fictional fairy tales. So we call them the Snow Queen and the Snow Princess.
2: Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. You don't want to get sued. <laughs> no, sure uh, but they're—I guess they're also. I mean, most of the stories are. I mean, like your company name, Our Fables, right? Like they—they right, were absolutely. written before Disney took rights on them.
5: Mhm. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, our Tower Princess—you know the story of Rapunzel—for mm-hmm. a long time before you know, Disney ever took it up as *Tangled*. So.
2: Yeah. I absolutely. think it's a testament
5: to say uh, why Disney chose these because they're great stories and they're great <laughs> characters. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, that's right. What do you think uh, your company does for for the community?
5: For the community, um, we do quite a bit of um, volunteer work. Uh, We've worked with Helpful a Dream Foundation, which has been um, largely because when Amy was working at Disney World, they did Helpful a Dream Foundation um, sort of reveals, surprise reveals. And so we've started to do some in Victoria and those have been absolutely, absolutely amazing.
2: What help do you provide parents? I mean, what are parents thinking about this Enchanted Fables?
5: Um, well, I think a lot of it is their children, you know, they get to meet their heroes, which is kind of a a special thing. I mean, most of the parties we do, the children are on average four or five years old. Okay. Um, so they're right at that age where they truly believe that we are those characters and... What would we like to go into it, so we have this, my favorite part of the entire party package that we do is a coronation. So we coronate the birthday girl as a princess or as royalty at her party, but in doing so we sort of make her take this pledge, and it has nothing to do with wearing sparkly crowns or big ball gown dresses, but more <laughs> to use honesty and integrity um, and value friendship and things like that. And that sort of I think comes from Amy and I's applied theater training. There's this term, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but for uh, treating children as if they were a head taller than themselves. Right. So when you, so in this realm of, of play and in fantasy, these children are playing as princesses, which, you know, have way more responsibility than they normally would. But by, um, Setting up this loose and safe structure for them gives them this sense of power and responsibility, and they're encouraged to make choices and to think critically or a head taller than themselves. And it really helps um, develop their mental state. And so I think that's one of the huge things that we're really uh, big advocates for, is helping children to, to challenge their way of thinking and to challenge what kind of responsibilities they can take on at any age.
2: All throughout Canada, there are these enchanted fable type of companies appearing. Right.
5: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: what do you think is going to be the future growth of them?
5: You know we've already seen so many pop-ups since we've started ours. Um, and I think I think it's really wonderful. I think that there's a huge market for us.
2: Okay, yeah, so you really think that it's a it'll be a promising business in the years to come.
5: Absolutely.
2: Well, thank you, LJ, for uh, for talking with CGSR and all that matters. And, um, You're welcome. Uh, we uh, we hope the best for you and uh, and Enchanted Fables.
5: Great. Thank you so much.
0: That was creative director, actor, and student LJ Tressider. If you'd like to know more about Enchanted Fables, you can visit them at enchantedfables.com.
2: That does it for this week on All That Matters, thanks to our reporter Nikki Weird. If you have any questions or story ideas, email us at
0: allthatmatterscjsr.com. Our website is allthatmatterscjsr.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter too, or at ATM ATMCJSR.
2: All That Matters is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton.
0: Our theme music is by Doka Shitero. Additional music for today's episode from Rent, Satori, arca and the mountain goats and khaki king and that song is actually called thank you mario but our princess is in another castle i'm josh turpin and i'm chris chang and phillips thanks for listening